0: The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Rick. I am one of the elders. Good morning. I am one of the elders here, and I have the privilege to bring God's word to you today. Today, we're going to continue our series in Exodus, so if you have a Bible with you, or your Bible app. Please turn to Exodus 2. Now, while you're getting that out, I want to talk to the kids. Kids, are you with me here? Kids, isn't it great that we invited all the adults to kids' church this morning? It's amazing. So many of them, we had to use the big room. So, uh, because today, today, we're going to talk about Moses. And I know you all know about Moses, but today... We're gonna start and we're gonna talk about Moses from the time he was a small boy. And, ha- and then we're gonna talk about how he grew into a great leader. So we gave you an outline to help your parents along. Uh, you can help them with that outline if, you, if they need some help. But mostly, I just wanna let you know that for one, I'm really happy you're here. Um, you, I'm really happy you're staying with me today. You are very, very welcome here. So with that in mind, Let's invite Sharon to come and pray for us before she reads the scripture.
1: Let's pray together. Oh Father, thank you for gathering us here together in Jesus' name, the one who has redeemed us. And thank you, Jesus, that you are returning and we long for that day. God, Jesus, when you return to set everything right here, when all our wars will be done, those between nations, those in our homes, and those in our own hearts. Until that day, we thank you, God, that you are not a God who is distant, that you see our suffering, you hear our cries, and you remember your promises. And as your word now is read and preached, would you help us to see that more clearly? And would you give us grace to trust you more, Father? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are reading all of Exodus chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. bank and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, "'This is one of the Hebrews' children.'" Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Well, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Well, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is the word of the Lord.
0: The book of Exodus tells us exciting stories of God delivering his people from slavery with Moses leading the way. Moses looks like the Bible's first superhero, telling Pharaoh, let my people go, parting the Red Sea, bringing water out of a rock, and coming down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. That's the Moses they call the great deliverer. That's the Moses they make movies about. But before all that, before all that, the Bible tells us of a younger Moses. Here we are introduced to a young man who fails in his first attempt to leave. He loses his home. He spends most of his time underemployed and disappointed. See, Moses Moses wasn't a superhero. Moses was just a guy. He was a guy like us. He's a guy who struggled to find his place in the world. And most of his life, well, it looks a lot like ours. Because the truth is, most of life is not that exciting. In fact, most of life is pretty mundane, and we might fail more than we succeed. Sometimes work or school is really a grind. Maybe relationships with our family or friends become difficult, and we feel alone, and life doesn't turn out like we expected. Are you tempted to wonder in those times, where is God in all of this? What is God doing with me? How am I supposed to think, and what am I supposed to do during these seasons? Well, that's what this story is about. This story tells us about that. And with hindsight and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can see that these events prepared Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. To see God's preparation of this deliverer, I want us to look at this passage in three movements or three parts to see what God does for his people. The first part brings us to Egypt we find a young Moses who fails miserably. See, the Hebrews will first speak of Moses as the failed deliverer. And so let's look at verse 11 and see how Moses becomes the failed deliverer. Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. Let's let's just pause right there. Acts 7 tells us the same story, but it gives us a little more. It gives us a little insight into what Moses was thinking. In Acts 7, it says, Moses, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So this tells us Moses was born into a Hebrew family, but he doesn't live with them. And we read earlier, Sharon read for us, about how Moses came to be raised in an Egyptian home, floated down the river and found by the daughter of Pharaoh. Moses was raised Egyptian, but also knew his Hebrew family. And everyone in his Egyptian family, well, they knew he was Hebrew. He was named Moses because it means I pulled him from the water, describing exactly how he was adopted. And Tab had planned to cover that last week before he was called out of town, but we're not going to cover all that today. I I think you know the story, so we're going to move on beyond that today. The Egyptians, they both feared and degraded the Hebrew people in that time. They called the Hebrews the living dead, and thought of them as animals, not human. But there were so many of them. One million Hebrews properly led might might revolt, and they might wipe out their Egyptian rulers. So the Egyptians, they had a Hebrew problem. Can you imagine? Can you imagine dinners at Pharaoh's house? Imagine you're a 10-year-old Moses eating at the kids' table for a holiday at Pharaoh's house. The adult starts talking politics, right? And suddenly, weird Uncle Tut is there, right? And Uncle Tut yells, something has to be done about this Hebrew problem. And then everyone turns and stares at Moses. Little, I pulled him from the water. Moses. Awkward. Really awkward. And how does that feel? How does that feel if you are a young Moses growing up in that family? Not fully Egyptian, not fully Hebrew. He straddles these two worlds that seemed on a collision course. And in verse 11, we clearly see that he made his choice. Verse 11, we'll go back there again. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Well, we see first Moses has a temper. And this character flaw is going to dog him all of his life. But there's also something to admire in Moses here. Moses values justice and abhors the abuse of power. He is courageous, confident, and ready for action. He looks around to see if there are any Egyptians watching. He might even be hoping that the Hebrews see him. Acts 7, again, tells us more about what was on his mind when this happens. It said, Moses, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. See, Moses, Moses thought he was the right leader. Moses had an Egyptian education that was the best in the world, and prepared him to lead people. Moses is smart and physically impressive. He knows where the Egyptians are soft and scared. So, he kills the Egyptian and presents himself as the perfect hero for the Hebrew people. Moses wants to be the great deliverer. But the Hebrew people, they aren't ready. Verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? See, the Hebrews, they don't want to be be blamed for a missing Egyptian. In fact, the implication here is that they're going to turn him into Pharaoh. So Moses runs. Verse 14, then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Where did he go wrong? Where did Moses go wrong? Why did this deliverer, this great leader of the Hebrews, why did he fail? Well, first, we need to notice that God had not called him to do anything yet. This was all his idea. Moses was going to be the hero of this story. Let me say that again. God had not called him to do anything yet. This was all his idea. Moses was going to be the hero of this story. And the truth is, Moses neither had the wisdom the goodness, nor the power to lead his people out of, his, out of Egypt. Only God could do that. But Moses decided to take the place of God in delivering the Hebrew people. And in doing so, he failed and he suffered greatly for it. Now, in hindsight, doesn't Moses look a little foolish? can you take the place of God? But sometimes, don't we try to take the place of God in other people's lives? See, there's a line. There's a line between playing God in someone's life and simple Christian encouragement of a brother or sister. Wisdom and experience tells us where that line is, but sometimes we only find out we crossed it after they push back. So playing God in someone's life will stress your relationships. It's even harder to know where that line is when you're a parent, isn't it? As parents, we teach, we discipline, we love our children. We plant seeds of faith in their heart. If things work out well, we gradually release them to make their own decisions, and hopefully what we've taught them will take root but let's not forget one thing. It's the Holy Spirit who works in them to draw them to himself and produce character in their lives. We understand that, but are we sometimes tempted to view our kids as a reflection of us? Is our pride amplified or our hearts devastated as we witness the decisions our kids make regarding both character and faith. One clear line to remember is this. You cannot save your kids. Only God does that. You may be perfectly faithful to raise your children in the truth of the gospel, and they may still reject Jesus. And that's grieving, and you may grieve that, but don't take responsibility for the things that only belong to God. Moses tried to take the place of God in saving his people. They push back, and now he's on the run. The story says that Moses flees to Midian. But Midian, that's right where God wants him. Moses needs some time in Midian for God to form him into the right kind of leader. So in verse 15, we change the scene to the desert of Midian and see how God is preparing the deliverer. Verse 15. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to to water their flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them watering their flock. We are seeing here the beginning of how God is preparing the deliverer, preparing him. Midian is in present Saudi Arabia, about 300 miles from Egypt. And it probably took Moses a week or two to get there. The well, the well's the only source of water for the animals and the shepherds, well, they're bullies. They wait for the women to draw water and then they take it from them. Look at this. Even these tough shepherds, the ones who protect their sheep from lions and wolves, these tough shepherds, many of them are intimidated by Moses. He looks like Egyptian royalty and seems to be able to handle a fight. So he takes them all on, and he saves the women. He helps the women to water their sheep. Now, that also tells you something about Moses, because men in this culture don't normally do this kind of work. Moses is humble and an impressive man. So the daughters return early, and they tell the story. And his reaction is typical dad stuff, right? He, He looks at the girl, he says, and you left him there? You find a guy like that, you're supposed to bring him home for dinner. Girls, what are you thinking? Go find that man. Bring him back for dinner. And so they do. And the names here are important. Moses come back and, comes back and finds a home in Ruel's home in Midian. The names here are important. Midian. Midian is a tribe that descends from Abraham. Midian was a child of Abraham's second wife. Therefore, the people of Midian are distant cousins with a mutual heritage in Abraham. Moses marries and has a child named Gershon. The name Gershon means sojourner. And this tells us how he feels. He's lost both his identity and his home And he is a sojourner. Ruel, the third name, Ruel, his father in law. He's usually called Jethro, but apparently he has two names. Ruel, however, means friend of God. And that's important to us too, because using this name in this section may signal to us that Ruel, called the priest of Midian, might be one who reminds Moses. Of God's promises to Abraham. See, Moses may feel like a sojourner, like he's lost his identity in his home, but God put him exactly in the place where he would receive the right kind of care. And then we see that Moses becomes a shepherd. Does anyone here ever own sheep? All right. All well, the rest of you think sheep are cute, right? Okay. Are sheep not the dumbest and most stubborn animals God ever created? Say amen. Yes? Yes, dumber than chickens. Yes. Sheep are the dumbest and most stubborn creatures God ever created. We owned six sheep at one time, and Snowflake was their leader. Snowflake. Snowflake was so fat that when Snowflake stepped in a rut, she lost her balance and rolled onto her back, feet straight up in the air, screaming for her life. And if left there, she would die because she couldn't roll herself back onto her feet. So several times a day, we had to go into the backyard and check on Snowflake to see if she was feet up or feet down and roll her back over that was their leader. Snowflake was the smart one. We had two pastures, and the sheep were never content to stay on one side. They always thought the other pasture was better, and they would stubbornly push on this fence until they eventually broke the fence and got through. They pushed on that fence over and over and over, day after day, even though 10 feet away, the gate was open. And I had to go fix the fence. After a while, I just just realized I have very little control over these sheep. Um, I could only guide them, show them some very undeserved kindness, and keep them alive. Because raising sheep was really frustrating. They taught me patience, perseverance, and compassion. And I only had six. Can you imagine what Moses endured in caring for hundreds? What kind of character and what kind of leadership ability did that develop in Moses? Because humans are a lot like sheep, aren't we? We stubbornly, we stubbornly try our own way, even though a clear path is made for us. We make the same mistakes over and over. And Jesus, our shepherd, saves us, and he rolls us back onto our feet. The Hebrew people were no different. They needed a shepherd, and Moses needed to learn how to lead like a shepherd. But the whole time, Moses had to wonder, what is happening with my life? Here he is. He's one of the most highly educated, capable, and imposing men of his time. And he's wasting his time and talent as a shepherd in the desert. Do you sometimes feel like that? Do you have a job that's soul sucking? Every day brings angry customers the same problems or a series of pointless meetings. Do you feel like a hamster on a treadmill? Or maybe, do you feel like you're fixing the same broken fence over and over? Maybe, maybe you're a mom. You have changed 11 diapers, fixed breakfast for five, been thrown up on twice, and driven the kids to ballet class all before 9 a.m., Life is an exhausting exercise in repeatedly turning the sheep back on their feet. (laughs) Does it make you wonder, what is God doing in my life? Do you feel a little lost? Discouraged? Moses probably felt the same. And for Moses, this lasted 40 years. That's right, 40 years. During that time, God put people in Moses' life to encourage him, and God gave him a job that formed the right kind of leader that Israel needed. But during the long 40 years in Midian, God had no idea, or Moses had no idea what God had planned for him. Still, he remained faithful to the small things that God called him to do. And maybe that's the lesson for us. See, we, we don't need to figure out what, is God, what God is doing. We just need to trust that he's doing something and remain faithful to the small things he has called us to do. Let me say that again, we don't need to figure out what God is doing, we just trust that he's doing something. And we remain faithful to the small things that he has called us to do. And we can see how this experience changed Moses, can't we? We can see how this experience changed Moses. 40 years of raising sheep taught him the limits of his personal power as it would teach anyone. God did not call the vital 40-year-old Moses to his service. He did not call the 50, 60, or 70-year-old Moses. Moses was 80 years old when God called him to lead. 40-year-old Moses expected that people would follow him because of his charisma and his brilliance. 80-year-old Moses said, I can't do that but he trusts God he goes anyway. And that's a crucial difference. The 40-year-old Moses says, I will deliver my people. I will be a hero. The 80-year-old Moses says, God is my hero and I will trust that he will deliver. God will be the hero of this story because our God is the ultimate deliverer. And now, and now, we're going to see that here. Now, we peel back the curtain just a little to see God's heart and mind as he prepares to show himself as the, to the world as the ultimate deliverer. Follow me in verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard the groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now God, while Moses, Moses was in Midian, king of Egypt, died. But he was replaced by a king who was more stubborn and more brutal. God hears the cries and remembers his promises to Abraham. God will be the ultimate deliverer. Now, why does he use this word, remember? Did God forget? No, no, God didn't forget. This means that God is going to be faithful to his promise. This just tells us that God does everything in his timing according to his wisdom. Promises. First promise to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. The Hebrew people entered Egypt as a family of 75, and they will leave centuries later as a nation of more than 1 million people promise kept second i will give you a specific land and that land is not in egypt so this passage foreshadows that god is about to take them out of egypt and lead them into the promised land the people are ready moses is ready And next week, spoiler alert, next week, we're going to see God begin to put his plan in motion. God has made promises to you too. Just like Moses, you're not good enough, you're not wise enough, and you're not strong enough to deliver yourself from sin. But God prepared a way for you to be saved. God provided you with the ultimate deliverer. See, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the dead. God has prepared a way for you if you will only turn to Christ, repent, and believe. Now, several of our leaders will be up front after the service, and they would love to talk with you and pray with you about that, if you wish. There's even more for us to consider here, I think. And I think we need to address that before we leave this passage. Verse 23, there are a lot of years and pain packed into verse 23. Their cries, their cries year after year went to God. And they must have wondered does God even hear us? I think the answer lies in the final verse, verse 25. It says, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God knew. The word here god knew suggests an intimate a personal knowledge of their suffering every injustice angered god every lash of the whip was painfully felt every cry in the middle of the night was heard he saw every tear fall maybe maybe that means something to you right now because you're suffering Maybe you're suffering now, and you're wondering, where is God in all your pain? God knows. God knows. Psalm 56:8 tells us of God. You have put my tears in a bottle." See, he remembers you too. He has promised he will redeem that pain and that sorrow. For he who has delivered us has delivered us in the most profound way possible through his son, Jesus. For you who have by faith trusted in Jesus, God has told you about your eternity. Revelation 21.1 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And this is the future for those who have trusted in Jesus. This is the promise for you that God remembers. And he is your ultimate deliverer. Let's pray. And as we begin to pray, I'd like to invite the band to come back on stage and the servers to please Come prepared to service the elements. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this story that tells of your faithfulness, tells of your faithfulness to remember your promises and deliver your people. All that sin is corrupted, your word tells us that you will make right. Where there is injustice, you will bring justice. Where there is oppression, you will bring kindness. Where there is suffering, you will bring blessing. You are our hero. You are our hero, and you are our deliverer. Gracious Father, we have the opportunity this morning to take these elements. We thank you for this glorious picture of so great a love that Jesus our Savior and Deliverer, loved his people and gave himself up for his people to position us before you holy and without blemish. Help us now to give thanks, believing this good news, as we take the bread and the cup together. It is in your Son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.